Hey, Fedheads. Um, as you noticed, if you're watching live, I had a little goof there with the uh, with the intro, and I accidentally put the picture, the Cigar Chat logo instead of the intro video. But you know that happens sometimes. I, uh, you know, I always get, I always got to get something wrong, and hopefully that's the only thing I got wrong <laughs> this week. Uh, I'm your host, Trip. Uh, with my co-host here, Dennis, together we are sharing our pairings. Uh, and we got a little bit of a different show for you. If you've been following along at home, uh, we were off last week because we were on assignment in the Dominican Republic. Um, so we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have two pairings each, um, and we're gonna focus a lot more on uh, what we did in the DR than our pairings like we usually do. So it's a little bit of a different show, but we're still gonna be pairing and we're still gonna be sharing. Um, so let's let's get started, Dennis. How you doing? How you feeling after the trip? What's up, brother? Uh, man, I'm just now getting back to finally getting the groove, going back to work, getting to my regular schedule. That air was just so sweet down there. I just I was sleeping yeah, right? the whole time, and I came back yeah. and I was I I just felt so good and comfortable and relaxed. And now I'm getting used to that whole New York pace, which is yeah, as you know, pretty hectic. That normal like stressed out vibe that you used yeah. to. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> And man, the beds down there were fantastic. Oh, like, I awesome. don't know if it's the bed or if it's that there's no cats or kids jumping on me in the middle <laughs> of the night. Um, but I slept like a baby when we were down there. So um, we'll start off by talking a little bit about what we're smoking. Then we'll talk. Uh, why don't we do? Uh, we'll talk about what we're smoking. Then we'll talk about kind of the beginning of the trip. Maybe we'll talk about the first day, depending on how long we go. Um, and then we'll talk about our first pairing. So what we're smoking tonight is something kind of special. So this is a debonair Maduro. Um, Get it in focus there for everybody. They've got these awesome gold bands that, uh, like, you don't notice it when you're just looking at the band, but if you've ever seen one of the boxes, you know that they've got, like, this medallion, this giant, like, logo that they've designed that's got kind of all this, like, scroll work. If it'll focus, well. It's very intricate. Yeah, it's it's very intricate. Um, and Phil was telling us that it's actually kind of based on, a, like, gun engraving, like like a... You know, in in the late 1800s, it was very popular for like royalty and stuff like that to have uh, engraved guns. And let me make sure we're live because I'm I want to make sure that uh, I was having some issues with Facebook today, and I want to make sure that all the timing and everything is right. Yes, we're good. Um, so the debonair, this is the debonair Maduro. So he's got the Habano and the Maduro, and then last year he launched the Daybreak. Um, so all of all three of them are Dominican and Nicaraguan filler uh, with a Dominican binder. And then the only difference in the three blends is actually the wrapper. But um, if you've smoked all three of these, it's one of those cigars where the wrapper is is a huge difference. I mean, um, the Maduro smokes like a very full-bodied, like dark, sweet, spicy Maduro, while the Connecticut smokes like a um, kind of more intense Connecticut than usual, but it's still got like that smoothness, that creaminess. Um what do you think of the uh, the Maduro so far, Dennis? I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, very different. You know, the age on it definitely is noticeable. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. So um, the size we're smoking is the 6x54 Bellicoso. Um, but the important thing is that these were from Phil's kind of secret stash in his locker there at the Debonair house, uh, which we'll get into a little bit more. But uh, these were from his secret stash. I think he said that they were from the original production, or at least one of the first couple productions. Yeah. Um, and then they just pulled them out of the aging room a couple months ago. And uh, the bands are, on these are stamped, but they're stamped rather than the date of production. They're stamped with the date of packing. 
Um, so Phil said he kind of banded these ones himself, made a couple bundles um, because, you know, you've got a big aging room. You can leave stuff sitting there for a while. Oh, yeah. And it's going unsmoked. Um, but so these these have got con- some considerable age. As I was showing Dennis before, uh, mine, and he said his was too. They're like, this is a Connecticut broadleaf wrapper, and that thing's like almost devoid of oils. It's, I mean, it's a little bit oily, but not what you're used to seeing. It's got more of that like dry, sandy color than the typical like dark, oily, like oozing with color kind of uh, texture that we're used to seeing from Connecticut broadleaf. Um, and that's that's always a sign that it's been pretty well aged. So let's let's get into talking about uh, talking about pro cigar. So we were invited to go to Pro Cigar, and we were invited to stay at the Debonair House. Um, what we had assumed, well, what I had assumed, having been to a couple things like this, um, was that we would be going down for the festival, um, and Debonair would, because we're media, would be kind of taking care of our our lodging for the week. Um, and other than that, it was just going to be, you know, we're off on our own. But it was very different than I was expecting. We got down there, and we were the only media that was staying there. Everybody else was kind of. Uh, in one way or another, uh, had business with uh, the folks at the Debonair House, which is, uh, that's a whole situation. We'll talk yeah. about that in a few minutes. Because <laughs> uh, if, you, if you know a little bit about it, if you've talked to Phil a little bit, you can kind of understand a little bit, um, but it's way more complicated than I was expecting. But again, we'll talk about that in a little while. Um, so we got down there, and it was like this way more personal experience where we were with... Uh, we were with Jared, who uh, you might have seen him. Uh, he was in one of our interviews with Debonair. I think he was just kind of off to the side a little bit. I don't think we actually got a full-on interview with him. But he's the uh, brand manager for Debonair in the U.S., um, which, of course, they're distributed by Drew Estate. So he works down there with all the Drew Estate guys in the, uh, in the swag cave, as they call it. So um, first, we went to the Debonair house. And, man, this place is gorgeous. It's a 20-bedroom, uh, like, walled-off villa with pools and a hot tub and hammocks, uh, like a full-on kitchen. A full, massage a room. Full, yeah, steam room. massage room, yeah. a full gym. Um, like, it's got everything you could ever want. Um, and they kind of manage it like a family-run hotel almost. It's Yeah, it's <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Uh, like, there's there's a couple guys, Eddie and Ka- Callan. Callan, uh, yeah. They are, um, I don't know what their titles would even be. Like, they're almost groundskeepers, but they don't really gr- do any groundskeeping. They just kind of make sure everything's running at the house. Um, but that goes from dropping people off at the airport and picking them up to maintenance on the rooms to cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's, uh, it's a very interesting dynamic that they've got there. It's, uh, you know, to me, the first thing I thought of, as funny as it is, I thought of the real world. It's yeah. kind of like that. You have all these different people doing different things kind of in the same space, sharing the same space. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a good way to put it. I forgot you had said that. Um, so so what was happening while we were down there? So, of course, Pro Cigar was last week. Um, and we were there to kind of enjoy the festivities a little bit. Um, but on the debonair side, so they are partnered with the De Los Reyes factory, which uh, Phil mentioned when he was on the show with us. Um, and he's involved in a couple of different businesses that – most people know about uh, he was involved in the creation of blunt rap and still is involved with the uh, yeah. the production of that. So they've got business partners from that side of the house. They've got a couple different cigar companies uh, that they do the productions for and stuff like that. It's it's a 
it's just a crazy like amalgamation of people um, who are all very different. Um, but we're all really interesting people, and you know, we got there, and they made they made me feel like we were part of the family. Oh, absolutely, I felt the same way. Like it, it feels like you're going. I don't know, like you're going on vacation with a bunch of friends almost. Yeah. Uh, only it's all people you've never met before. Um, so that was really interesting. And then uh, we went to so the first day we went, we got there, we kind of unpacked our bags a little bit, hung around the house a little bit, got a bite to eat, like a snack. Um, and then Pro Cigar didn't really start in Santiago until uh, Wednesday morning. Um, and so Tuesday night, which is when we got there, there wasn't really much going on. They had a party, but it was very low-key party compared to the rest of the nights. Um, just kind of have a couple drinks by the pool and then go your separate ways for dinner. Dinner wasn't even part of the party. So we ended up going to uh, the Saga restaurant in Santiago for dinner. Oh, my God. It was like Phenomenal. mind-blowing. So, And it was another thing that like we were going into everything here blind. Like We didn't know what was going on. Um, so they told us we're going to the Saga party. And we were like, oh, Saga Cigars, because Saga Cigars are, of course, made in the same factory by the De yeah. Los Reyes um, Tobacco Company. Um, and we got there, and it's a restaurant called Saga that is owned by Augusto, who's kind of the head of the family for the, the Reyes family, which, which, of course, owns and runs the De Los Reyes factory. Um, and, man, the food at this place was phenomenal. Uh, they had, like, uh, we had some... Beef tartare. We had beef carpaccio. Oh yeah. Uh, we had burrata. We had the uh, what was the salmon one? The spicy salmon. Uh, oh, um, spicy, spicy salmon, salmon tartare. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Uh, oh, it was, so good. <laughs> it was mixed in with avocados and like spicy and like the the kind of the spicy sauce that you get at a sushi restaurant if you if you're familiar with sushi. Um, and then served over a bed of like fried plantains. It was yep. so. Um, and then, of course, like the piece de resistance was the tomahawk steak, which like, <laughs> I mean, anytime tomahawk steaks on a menu, that's what I want. Um, there's no time. There, nobody's ever put a tomahawk steak on a menu. And I've gone into that place and not wanted that. Um, but this might have been the best presentation, at least. So unique, had. right? Uh, usually when I've had a tomahawk steak, it's really well grilled with the bone still in there. Um, they give it to you with a steak knife and a fork and you just go at it. Like a normal steak, but with a three-foot-long bone in there. And at this place, they do it very, very differently. So they they cook the steak um, a little bit under whatever you order it at. So we ordered ours rare, and it came out um, like kind of what do you call it? Uh, blue? Is that what people call it? Black and blue? Yeah, um, I guess it's blue. I don't, I don't remember. I don't. I, I've never ordered a steak that way, so I don't remember. I think the term is blue. Uh, and they cut it for you. And then serve it on a searing hot block of salt. Uh, <laughs> that is, it's the biggest piece of salt I've ever seen. Like it's it insane. reminds me yeah. of one of those. Uh, like if you've ever seen a like those pink Himalayan salt lamps, it's like a block of that that's condensed and it weighs more than one of those lamps. Um, and it's just it's like red hot, so it comes out and it's sizzling. And if you take your steak off and you lay it on the piece of salt and it cooks. Um, and it ends yeah. up being like this super rich, uh, hot steak. And oh my God, it was amazing. It's just wild. All the flavors. I've never had those before. And I've had a lot of good steak. Yeah. It was, this place was insane. Um, and then of course, uh, 
you know, we we partied a little bit that night. We got back to the villa and we smoked a couple cigars. Um, but let's talk about uh, let's talk about our first pairing here. So we're both pairing the same thing. I'll, I'll introduce it here. Um, if you saw the picture, you already know this is debonair rum, which is uh, surprisingly hard to find in the states. Uh, we didn't get all the details about why, but it's something to do with uh, they just don't have distribution and uh, getting alcohol distribution. Um, is cost prohibitive i'll put it that way it's insanely expensive to get all the licenses you need and everything uh to be able to first of all even import liquor um but then to be able to ship it to different states and stuff like that and you know once it was it would be kind of like uh with the um it would be i'll compare it to john drew brands i could see them helping debonair out with this to get distribution in the u.s but still john drew brands is still getting off the ground and the thing they're struggling with right now is they can only get into so many states so quick. Um, it takes a long time to get distribution across the entire country. And they've got people all over the country that are clamoring for that stuff. Um, and I think Debonair would run into kind of the same thing where your distribution is so small that 80% of the people who want it can't get it uh, any, any reasonable or legal way. Um, but we got to try a little bit of the rum while we were there. Um, it's of course got the debonair logo on there. Um, and this is the eight year debonair rum. Um, and I noticed it doesn't say it anywhere on the bottle, but we were told that this is actually a Solera rum, um, which if you're not familiar with Solera rum, it basically means, uh, that even though this is an eight year aged rum, um, there's a little bit of older rum in there. So basically, uh, they use the same barrels for decades and decades and decades and rather than fully emptying every barrel, they are constantly rotating the older stock through the newer barrels. So every bottle has a little bit of whatever their oldest vintage is or their, their oldest uh, distillation was. Um, so you end up with a, a rum that's got a little bit of that older character, I guess. Um, I haven't had a lot of Solera rum, so I'm, I'm not super clear on what the taste differences are. Um, but I know it's supposed to make the rum taste a little bit older than uh, it typically would if it was simply an eight-year rum. And I wonder if that uh, if those notes come out as a, sort of a buttery texture to the rum. Yeah, because it definitely does have kind of a buttery texture. And my cigar went out because I, as usual, talk too much. Um, and while I'm reading, relighting my cigar, when we get back, we're going to talk about the debonair rum. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Brought to you by Gurkha Cigars. Gurkha Cigars, makers of the world's finest cigars. Try the 93-rated Heritage, featuring a Rosado, Ecuador, and Habana wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and Dominican, Pennsylvania, and Nicaraguan fillers. Blended by Gurkha's blending team at American Caribbean Cigars, it's hand-rolled Nicaraguan, available in 35-count boxes. Talk to your local B&M about the Heritage today, or talk to them about other fine Gurkha cigars. Whatever your taste preference is, Gurkha has a cigar that's right for you. Hey guys, we're back with sharing our pairings. Um, I'm I'm still getting back into the groove of doing this again. I feel like it's been way more than a week since I've done this because I feel like, like I'm kind of so off long. my game. Um, but maybe that's just because I had my head out of it for a little while, and I'm used to just thinking about doing this constantly because I do it so often. Um, so I'm gonna take a couple sips of my rum here. Actually, I'm gonna smell it first. So on the nose, you've got that like. Um, it reminds me of just like pure cane sugar, not not really brown sugar. 
Oh, excuse me. Um, it's like it's just cane sugar. It's just pure sugar um, with a little bit of. See, I was in my notes. I had put lemon peel because I get a little bit of like that citrus lemon kind of zest from it. But I'm wondering if now that I've taken I've taken some notes on the flavors and also uh, looked at a couple reviews, uh, and I think it might be lime more than lemon. But it's not super sweet. It's like lemon rind. It's got um, that, it, that bitterness to it. Yeah, and there's a little bit of funk in there on the nose that I can't. Do you notice the uh, the lacing on it? No, it's I did. Pretty crazy. Oh wow, yeah, that's it's got, got some legs, legs, man. Like it, uh, man. What's going on with me? I think I forgot to take my allergy medicine today. Um, it's interesting because like you swirl it on the glass like that, and this probably isn't going to come up on camera, but I'll I'll try anyway. Yeah, nothing. Um, and it looks like it's got no legs. Like it's just watery. And it just falls flat. And then you notice it's got a really thin coating around the entire glass that slowly starts to kind of turn into those legs, which you might be able to see here. No. It's impressive. Um, and then I need to take a couple sips because now I've just been smelling it. It's got – I'm still trying to identify what this one note is. And there's a couple things I've come up with that are similar. Uh, one, of, one of them is honey. I get – there's definitely like um, – more than like a sugarcane sweetness, I get a honey-like sweetness. Um, which also has a little bit of that, like honey, like viscosity, like, and stickiness. Um, and then I, I feel like I'm kind of crazy, but I know I've tasted it in rums before, but I feel like there's a little bit of like a sweet fermented tobacco note. It reminds me of like, um, the flavor when you're smoking, like really heavy Connecticut broadleaf. That's got like that intense sweetness. Do you get that? I'm trying to pick it out. Um, there's, it's definitely got this honey honey stickiness to it yeah and the bitterness from the lime comes out really nicely yeah there's yeah that's a good way to put it there's definitely like it's like sweet candied lime but it's got that bitterness it doesn't have any of like the citrusy uh acidic bite that you're used to getting from a lime and definitely an interesting rum right definitely an interesting rum in general compared to like it reminds me of the florida Kanye style it reminds me of a cuban rum which has more of a bitterness and much less of the sweetness. Yeah, I don't think this has as much like uh, cinnamon as like something oh, like yeah. Florida Definitely not. It doesn't like have that baking spice that goes along with Florida Cana. All right, so now we'll, we'll we'll move on to talking about the next day, um, which is really um, in my in my pictures. If you're if you follow us on Facebook, um, I need I'll share it from the Cigar Federation account tonight. Uh, I put together a bunch of photo albums, which I feel like is the worst way to distribute these pictures. Um, but I can't come up with a better way. What I what I was looking for is a way to make sub albums, so I could have one album of Pro Cigar and then break it down into each each activity that we did. So instead, I broke it into each activity we did. Um, so you'll have to click a separate link for each one, which I know is annoying. And I'm really sorry, but uh, also put it in the link for the YouTube video and the link for the. Uh, podcast as well so you guys can can check it out um it's a lot of pictures i'm gonna warn you i took about 2500 pictures pictures during the trip and i pared it down to kind of the 500 or so best um and then the last night we'll get to it later but the last night there was a stage performance oh yeah cool (laughs) and i just got way too many good pictures of it that i couldn't just chop them down to like three pictures so uh if you're if if you get to that point in the album and you don't care about it just just don't bother looking at the rest from that night um but anyway so day two uh we wake up and we go to uh leo reyes farm uh 
And this was the only tour that we had that was actually part of Pro or uh, sorry, uh, part of Pro Cigar. Um, it was a tour of the fields and then a tour of the factory. Um, and it was nice to experience the the Pro Cigar aspect uh, that everybody else that goes to Pro Cigar gets to see. But the really interesting thing that I wasn't expecting is that other than this tour, we were kind of getting private tours and stuff like that of of different parts of the factory that not everybody got to see um, and some of the other facilities they have around town, which was really cool. Like um, being able to just see that stuff up close without a big tour group or anything and just kind of wander around the factory. Is it was amazing. incredible. Yeah. Uh, and it's something I, I've never gotten to do. If, if you're in the industry and like you work with cigars, that's kind of your everyday life. When you go visit somebody, you walk around the factory with the owner and, and check it out. Um, but this was the first time I'd been able to, you know, kind of cruise around a factory without being part of an actual tour, like a formal tour. Um, so we we did the tour of the farms, which Leo Reyes, I wasn't familiar with him by name. Um, and you you probably aren't if you're listening or watching this, you probably aren't familiar with him either. Um, he is the he's one of the number one growers in the Dominican Republic, uh, like Almost any cigar that has Dominican tobacco in it probably has one of his. Um, he's the one who creates some of the strains of tobacco uh, that we're most familiar with. I should have taken better notes. Um, I think it was Habano 2000 that he created uh, for Cuba. Uh, he, he was kind of part of the program that ended up hybridizing, hybridizing that. Um, and not as a, it, it wasn't like he was part of the Cuban industry. They asked him to come down and help them because he was he's a prolific tobacco grower. Um, and then we got to try some strains that aren't really used very much yet, which is really cool. Oh, man, so um, much good stuff there. Yeah, um, and we'll talk about that more because we actually went back there the following day for the private tour kind of thing, um, which was even better and even more incredible. Um, and so we did the tour with everybody, which was uh, it was kind of set up. If you've, if you've ever been on a tour, which some of you have, some of you haven't, um, it's kind of a guided experience. They've got uh, kind of stations where they go and they say, this is where this is where they explain how the tobacco gets into the ground. Um, they always have a little seedling there um, so that you can see how small they start out. And then they talk about the processes that they use. Um, some of the things that were striking to me as very different from Nicaragua, which is where I'm used to seeing tobacco, is uh, in the fields they use palm trees because it's a tropical island. And palm trees just kind of grow wild there, um, which is very like Nicaragua and Esteli. You don't see a single palm tree because they're up in the mountains. It's a very different climate. Um, And so they use they have the palm trees there, but they actually use them as posts for the shade grown tobacco. So they have the like the cheesecloth over the fields and it's all attached to these palm trees around the fields, um, which is just to, to me, that's a really interesting method to uh to kind of use the natural resources that are already there um to your advantage uh rather than having to build stuff um and then there i was really surprised by the aging barn or the curing barns in nicaragua they've got big wooden barns um and the sides have doors and panels that open so they can let air flow in and stuff like that in the dominican republic they're they're made of I'm I'm not even sure what they were. I didn't I didn't get a close enough look at any of them. But they like were like straw, right? Or yeah, straw or something like that. Um and 
inside it's this narrow little like shoulder width hallway almost and everything else is just tobacco curing yep um in in most of the ones in nicaragua there's no tobacco that's hanging below head height so you can walk to the walls all the way around the place um rather than straight down the middle but here it's just down the middle you're not getting anywhere else it's just tobacco for days and it's it was so much darker in there than it is in in the nicaraguan uh connecticut style uh what else do we do with the farm there i know they had the hangover bar which was a really uh yeah a really cool, cool thing yeah uh so if you partied a little too hard the night before they had a table that had like pepto-bismol and aspirin and stuff <laughs> like that water um, nice gatorade touch. and stuff so you could hydrate uh yeah it's just kind of a nice touch and it's apparently something they do every year because people enjoy it uh and you know, some people party a little too hard sometimes, especially when you're out at one of these events, uh, staying up late with a bunch of cigar smokers. And I think my cigar went out again because I talked way too much. So I'll let you talk. What did you think about, like, the farm tour? Uh, and you can lead us into the next segment as well. You know, man, the, the farm tour for me was really interesting compared to, like you said before, the Nicaraguan side of things. Palm trees, very cool. But also those barns really just kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting yeah. that at all. Having seen the, the the way things are done in Nicaragua and and I'm sure a lot of other places as well, going into a barn that was more of a cavern than rather than yeah. a, a you know a proper like tall barn, very interesting. And the leaves themselves, I have to say, I, I touched a bunch of them. Even the leaves felt a little bit different. the 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 atmosphere was different. Yeah, c- compared to Nicaragua. Yeah, they've definitely got a different texture, and it's it's. Yeah. Uh... I mean, it's really interesting to finally see the differences between how they're grown. It's similar, of course. You're growing the, you could be growing the exact same plant, um, but the way that they're being watered, the way that they're being cultivated, the way that they're being harvested, uh, the way that they're being cured is all a little bit different. Which I, um, I don't think I, I don't think I really expected that. Yeah, and all that comes out in the final product, and yeah. it's it's significantly noticeable mm-hmm. in the final product. We got, I got a couple shout outs to get to. Um, Jerry Stash says, evening, gentlemen. And Robert Downey says, what's up, fellas? What is up, guys? We're glad to be back. We're happy to be talking to you um, about our experience in the DR. Um, and I'm already a little excited to get back to a regular show next week. Um, I, I'm already missing, like, the regular uh, cadence of our, of our episodes. But this is, I feel like this is important information to get out to the people. Oh, absolutely. And since we're here, uh, we might as well talk about it. And definitely ask questions. If you're watching, ask anything you want to know. Yeah. If you guys have any questions at all about uh, about the Dominican Republic or Pro Cigar or um, particularly Debonair Cigars and De Los Reyes Cigars, uh, let us know in the comments. We'll be happy to answer them. Uh, we got to take a quick break for another one of our sponsors. Uh, so we'll be right back and we'll talk about kind of the rest of the factory tour and then, then the next couple days here. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by Cigar Oasis. Don't spend all your time worrying about your cigar wrappers cracking, splitting, or falling apart from humidity fluctuation issues. Set it and forget it by choosing Cigar Oasis, a professional solution which provides equal distribution of humidity with precise electronic controls. Monitor your cigars through the internet using the smart humidor Wi-Fi attachment. Why don't you spend all your time enjoying your cigars and relaxing and let Cigar Oasis protect your cigars. Cigar Oasis has solutions for any humidor, Make sure you set it and forget it today. I'd set it on fire. All right, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're back talking about the uh, the tours that we went on. Um, so an interesting thing that's very different from – so I'd been on Pro Cigar last year. Um, so I was familiar with that style, and that's kind of what I uh, 
that's kind of what I had assumed these kind of cigar tour um, festivals are like. But so at Puro Sabor, you basically you choose a group and then that group's tours are laid out for the week. Um, and usually you'll end up touring one place in the morning and then one, maybe two places in the afternoon. And at lunchtime in between, uh, there's kind of a communal lunch where everybody, all of the tour groups come back together and eat lunch. And you talk about what you did in the morning and stuff like that with each other, uh, which is fun. An interesting thing that they do a little differently at Pro Cigar because of the size of the festival. Um, I think uh, I didn't I never got a count on how many people were there, so I'm not sure of the total attendance. I would guess my guess would be somewhere around 600 attendees. Um, and even though there are that many people at some of the Puro Sabor events, the tour groups are somewhere around like 150 usually. Um, so the tour groups are way smaller. Tour groups are, you know, 15, 25 people maybe at the most. Uh, where at Pro Cigar, the tour that we went on of the De Los Reyes uh, fields and factory uh, are, I think it was 90 p- attendees. It was a ton of people, yeah. Which is a ton. But it was really cool that we get back to the factory after the the farm tour. Um, and we went with Phil Zangi from Debonair Cigars. Everybody else went on their on the tour bus back to the factory. And then they had lunch served there, which was really cool. Um, that was a nice lunch. I liked that. Uh, so first of all, lunch was amazing. It was served. It was uh, the caterers were basically culinary students from a local culinary school. And they made like this really good, like, you know, kind of small plate, but high end, really good food. Really nicely presented, too. Yeah, really good presentation. There's a couple of pictures of that in the photo album that I uh, that I will link in the in the description for you guys watching uh, after the live show. And everybody else, just stay tuned on Facebook for the link uh, in a little while. Um, and uh, so a really interesting thing that I thought at lunch was at Puro Sabor, because I'm comparing everything to Puro Sabor because that's what I was familiar with. Um, at Puro Sabor, you eat lunch. And there's a little introduction, like uh, one of the lunches that comes to mind was at uh, at the uh, Finca de Estrellas, which is the uh, Don Papin Garcia's farm. And they had like a big presentation there. It took all afternoon and kind of took up some of the tour time because um, I think that lunch was from like 1130 till three or something like that, uh, which was cool. They had a bunch of like cool presentations and stuff like that. Um, but at this one... The entire De Los Reyes family, which um, I should have talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, so the De Los Reyes family, they run the De Los Reyes, or the, the Reyes family, rather, runs the De Los Reyes Cigar Factory. Um, Leo Reyes, who we just talked about, owns the tobacco fields, um, and he's a prolific farmer in the DR. Uh, I mean, I, I was going to list off some tobaccos that you've smoked from him, but m- he makes tons of uh like tobacco that you've smoked before. Some that come to mind are the uh, the Negrito wrappers. Oh which yeah, I know used on uh, "Long Live the King" by Caldwell and a couple other things. Uh, he he grows a lot of HVA, which again I've seen Caldwell use it a lot. The interesting thing is a lot of companies just say they're using Dominican tobacco. They don't say exactly what tobaccos they're using. Chances are at least one of those leaves that they're using Dominican oh, tobacco is is coming from Leo Reyes's farm. Um, and then there's uh, Augusto Reyes, who's kind of the current head of the family, um, the patriarch of the entire business at the moment. Um, and he's a fifth generation uh, in the tobacco industry, um, whether that's manufacturing or farming. Um, and 
his daughter uh, Nirka is like the new generation. She's sixth generation, which is like um, I think that's the longest. I know it's the longest running uh, tobacco family in the Dominican Republic. I would guess it's the longest running outside of Cuba, which is a big deal. Um, but each person from the family was up there while we were eating lunch talking about, uh, you know, their journey through the tobacco industry, where they started, how um, I think it was Nirka who said that she never thought she'd be in the tobacco industry. It was something she thought was cool and it was part of the family business. Um, but it was only a few years ago that she kind of decided that she wanted to be part of it. Um, and now she's kind of the she's going to be the matriarch, I guess, of yeah. the next generation of of the industry for the Reyes family, which is awesome. Um, and so that was all while we were eating lunch. So it was kind of a historical tour while we were eating lunch. And then they broke up into tour groups and we we got to tour the whole factory, which um, I mean, you've heard everybody out there has probably heard me talk about uh, factory tours before. They're all the same. Every cigar factory is exactly the same, except for the little differences that are what make them interesting. Um, like if you've seen one factory, you know how cigars are made. Um, but in certain factories, they do a certain thing with the tobacco that not everybody does. They have a certain yeah. process that they use. Um, so at their factory, one of the really interesting things is that they they don't barrel age their tobacco, but when they're storing tobacco after it's been taken out of bales and fermented and stuff like that, and it's kind of ready to use, but they're not ready to use it yet, they store it in barrels. And they've been yeah. using the same barrels um, for something like 50 years. That was really cool. That was a very interesting part that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, you're, so you're not, it's not like barrel aging where you're getting a bunch of barrel influence. Um, but I'm sure there's a little bit of like... Oh, there has to be. With all that wood contact with oak which uh, we're used to smoking cigars that have a lot of contact with cedar. And as everybody knows, that cedar comes through in cigars, um, particularly if they're like sleeved in cedar for a long time or something like that. Um, is it, am I missing anything on the tour? I think that kind of wraps up the tour of the second day. Um, you know, I think the, the, the machines for uh, deveining were pretty cool. Uh, yes. Very scary. I wouldn't want to go anywhere near. I got. I was about a couple of feet away, and that was enough for me. Man, I mean, so uh, there's again, there's a couple pictures. I wish that there was a good way for us to like have a voiceover of the pictures so that we could do this kind of yeah. thing and go through the pictures. But I think that would just kind of be a boring way to watch a video, and it wouldn't work as a podcast at all. So I'd rather it be kind of this explanation, and then the pictures are there if you want to see with your own eyes. Um, so these are. Uh, there are machines that were designed around the turn of the century. I know in, in some factories, I've seen them as old as like 1905 and as recent as like 1915. But it's, it's interesting because they came from a time where there was a ton of tobacco production being done by hand. So this was when cigarettes were still being made by hand. Um, not entirely, but the, the preparation of the tobacco was all handmade. Um, and then they would go into machines to actually make the cigarettes, but they were kind of using similar processes to what they still use for cigars. Um, so there are these machines now all over the world, uh, that there's not really a surplus of, but there's enough that if you want, if you need one, you can still buy them. Um, and we'll actually probably talk about machines a little more when we get to the machine made part of the factory. Um, but so there are these machines that if, the normal way, the the way to do it by hand is you kind of uh, frog strip the leaves, which is where you you pull the center vein out 
uh, only from halfway down. And a lot of times for the rappers, and sorry, I'm like, I'm getting jumbled up in my head here. So for filler tobaccos, they frog strip, which is where they pull the leaf down from the middle and you leave about the top third of the leaf uh, with the center vein, which is when you get a stem in your cigar, it's coming from that because that's where a lot of the strength and flavor is in tobacco leaves. Um, for wrappers, on the other hand, they ha- they have the leaf and they kind of uh, have that center vein and each side acts as a wrapper. So what they do is they kind of pull that center leaf out and there's a really weird process that they have that I can never get my head around and I've tried to do it in factories where you grab <laughs> it and then you like rip it around your hand like that. Oh yeah, I can't do it. Wrapping the, uh, the vein around your hand and you come off with two clean leaves of tobacco and when I've tried it, it's just uh, it's just a mess. <laughs> it's it's like I'm trying to rip a phone book in half. Like it's like <laughs> some parts are torn that shouldn't be, and it's a mess. Um, but they have these machines from the turn of the century where you basically just run a tobacco leaf through, and it it strips that vein off, and then pops out with two halves of the leaf. Um, and these machines are terrifying. They're like oh yeah, all these belts going around, and the way they power them is really interesting. So one of them has an engine. And then the other three or four that are in the room are just on this drive line that goes down the room. So they're all powered by one. And it, what was really interesting is while we were there, the powered one didn't even have anybody working on it. It's there spinning away um, to power the rest of them. Um, but if you made the wrong move, these things would like just oh, suck man, that's it. right off your hand. Yep. Oh, it'd be terrifying. And those um, belts are cool because they're made out of leather. They're not rubber. Yeah, yeah they're made out of leather and they can kind of grip the tobacco and last a lot longer than rubber would, I guess. Um, All the more reason not to stick your hand in there. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, <laughs> I mean, just looking at those things is scary. Terrifying. Um, yep. Anything else I'm missing from that day? I have to say to, to the credit of pro cigar, they really organized everything very well. Yeah. Considering the amount of people they had the tours, at least what, what you and I saw, you know, and, and the parties as well, the evening dinners, everything was organized just so well so elegantly the presentation and everything was insane yeah um and then a really cool thing is at the end of the tour so some tours do and some tours don't um a lot of tours at the end of the tour they have a little gift for you um so in the in the case of de los reyes it was a box of i think it was eight cigars it was just kind of um, a sampler of a bunch of their different cigars yeah. um, there were a couple of de los reyes cigars in there there were a couple of uh there was at least i think there was one debonair uh, there was one Patoro, uh, and then there were a couple others that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Um, but and and then it was printed on the front. So at a couple of the places that I went at Puro Sabor, they had these samplers like that that seemed like they were made five years ago, and they just keep a pile of them um, so that whenever somebody comes to the factory, they can give them out. And in this case, all every single one of these samplers was stamped with um, Pro Cigar 2018. Yep, which was it's just a really nice touch. Um, nice box the, too. The white party was Thursday night, so this tour was on Wednesday. And another really nice touch that I, as far as I know, they're the only factory that did it. They had a white Gaia for every single person on the tour. Yeah, a um, really nice one too. A really nice one, way nicer than the one that I brought. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then me too. <laughs> on the collar, it had their logo embroidered, which is it's just like so classy. Um, they they really like. I I think they nailed that tour. Um, and then we went to the dinner after that, which the dinner that night, um, I didn't get many pictures because as you'll be able to see, if you look at the pictures, uh, 
they had yellow lights everywhere. Um, and everything I took a picture of was just, it looked like it was black and white with a yellow filter on it. Uh, it was, it was not the best situation for taking pictures. Um, but a, a really cool thing that they do there that they don't do at, um, Oh, Jerry has a good question. I'll get, I'll get to your questions in just a minute, Jerry. Uh, we're going to finish talking about this, then, uh, have a word from one of our sponsors and then I'll answer your questions. Um, so at Puro Sabor, they kind of have, uh, cigar girls everywhere at every party and during every uh lunch and stuff like that where at certain times they'll say okay now we're smoking cigar x and then they hand out cigar x to everybody and that's what you smoke um and then at the end you got a box that had uh i think it was 32 cigars last year i don't know how many it was this year i saw the box but i don't know how many exactly were in it um and those are your cigars to take home at Pro Cigar, every night you walk into the party and they give you a box that's got an assortment of cigars from uh, each of the factories that are kind of sponsoring that party, which is really cool. Um, and I haven't taken pictures of those yet, but I'll have them up uh, within the next couple days. Uh, so th this segment of our show is brought to you by Drew Estate. Um, they they distribute these cigars right here. Go go out, buy some Drew Estate cigars, buy some Debonair cigars. Um Shout out to Hoya de Nicaragua celebrating their 50th oh, yeah. anniversary Absolutely. today, which is crazy for, I mean, um, they've gone a lot of history through there. some, yeah, they've gone through some stuff over the years. Um, and they had a live stream earlier today with Dr. Cuenca, who, uh, was one of the people who was involved in starting the company and is still involved today, uh, which is amazing. Very um, cool stuff. So Jerry, now I'll answer your question. So he wants to know what the cost of Puro Sabor is. Um, so Puro Sabor is the Nicaraguan festival. Pro Cigar is the Dominican Festival. They're organized a little bit differently. Um, let me look up the prices here. Um, so the way they're organized is a little bit different. Uh, at Puro Sabor, you buy your ticket and they figure everything out for you. You buy your ticket and you buy a plane ticket to get there and to get back. Um, and basically, they figure out the logistics of how to get you places. Um, they figure out where you're staying because... in so one of the huge differences is Santiago is a major city, which is where all, most of the cigar factories in the Dominican Republic are. Esteli, on the other hand, is a tiny, like almost village that mm -hmm. was good at growing tobacco and slowly became the epicenter of tobacco in Nicaragua. Um, so in Nicaragua, in Esteli, they don't have a lot of hotels. They have a bunch of little hotels. They don't have like they have one big hotel, and it's it's not big enough for the entire festival. So they figure out which hotels you're going to stay in and stuff like that. Um, so on, on that end, they're a little more organized. But with Pro Cigar, you uh, <coughs> excuse me, you have to book all of your own hotels. Um, so I think uh, I think pretty much everyone was staying in the Grand Almirantes, yeah. which is a huge hotel in, in downtown Santiago. Um, and you, that's separate from the tickets for the festival. Um, so let me let me look at what the festival prices are like here. Oh, well, Pro Sabor's. I don't think either of them are showing the prices right now. If I remember correctly, um, Pro Sabor is somewhere around fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred dollars, and I think Pro Cigar is just a little bit more, like twenty one hundred. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, I'm sorry that I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, I wish that I, I remembered off the top of my head. Uh, and Jerry's other question is, are the cigars in good shape and ready to smoke? Absolutely. So one of the great things about these countries where they make cigars 
is the reason we keep cigars in humidors is because we need to keep them at a certain temperature and we need to keep them somewhere between 60 and 72 percent relative humidity. Um, so the good thing there is it's always in yeah, that range. Of it's always humidity. perfect. Um, so like it's great because a lot of people down there don't even have humidor. Uh, you have somewhere to keep your cigars so that they don't get damaged. Um, but you don't need to worry about the humidity because that's just the humidity where you are. Um, so it, it's awesome that like they just have these boxes on shelves um, and you can pop any of those cigars out and they're going to be ready to smoke right out of the, right out of the box. Um, but uh, I don't remember what my butt was. I was going somewhere else with that, but I forget what it was. Um, but any, anytime you're in Nicaragua or uh, Dominican Republic or Cuba or something like that, chances are, unless the weather's really bad, for some reason at the moment, um, pretty much every cigar is going to be like smoking perfect. And a thing we talked about that I learned pretty recently. Um, so this, this is the weird thing that I bring up to everybody when we, when we have this conversation is have you ever tasted the water in your bathroom? Like when you oh, drink yes. bathroom, yep. it's kind of, it tastes weird. It's got, it's like a little sweeter almost like it, I don't know. Something is different about it, and you can never put your finger on it. Uh, and somebody explained to me a few months ago that there's a reason that happens. And the reason it happens is because all of your senses are contributing to what that tastes like. And in the bathroom, there's like harsh chemicals and stuff like that uh, that you're not smelling when you're somewhere else in your house. So even though the water tastes exactly the same and is exactly the same, your palate receives it, perceives it as different. Because your other senses are being impacted by it. And one thing that always comes up when people first go on one of these trips, uh, whenever you first go to like any of the four major cigar-making countries in Central America, um, you'll notice cigars taste amazing there. Uh, no matter what you're smoking, it's going to taste yeah. good. And no matter how good it tastes there, it'll never taste as good at home. Yeah, uh, that's true. And the reason that I th – my theory is that it's the same kind of thing where – uh, you're getting those smells that are foreign to you. There's not as much like car exhaust in the air. Um, it's just you're in a different environment that you're not used to. Um, and it kind of hones your senses a little bit. So you're tasting cigars a little bit with a little bit more uh, granularity than you usually do, if that makes sense. I mean, it's, it might sound crazy, but if, if you've ever smoked a cigar like on the beach in Mexico or something like that, you know it like it just tastes better. And you can't quite put your finger on it, but it's something like that. And uh, Hector Alfonso was on a few months ago, and he was telling us that they had a, uh, a thing where they blended a cigar and they smoked it right before they got on the plane on the way to the airport. Yeah. And then they got home and smoked it again, and it was like, this isn't the same cigar. How, is, how, how does it taste different? And they couldn't figure it out. And I think it has something to do with like those, those other senses that are perceiving you know, certain smells, certain sights, certain tastes in the air. It's an entire experience, right? It's uh, Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing we always go back to with cigars. It's not just the cigar. It's not just where you're at. It's everything involved. You know, the mood you're in, the place you're in, uh, maybe what you're drinking, what you're eating at the time. All those things come together and, and ultimately impact what that experience is like. It's not just the one, um, you know, one profile of flavor. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like it's uh we're at 52 after the hour here this is going to be a slightly longer show than usual yeah. um so if you're short on time i'm sorry but uh we'd love it if you you come back and finish listening or finish watching later on uh on youtube or uh or on the podcast uh which 
I kept up with my promise. It did go up on Monday and Tuesday last week, and I'm going to keep up with that this week. Um, let's see. Where was I going next? Uh, oh, uh, so dinner. Dinner was really good. It was, uh, they had these really good, uh, like, it was one some of the best buffet food I've ever had. Oh, man. Just insane. The food, all the food was so good. It was all so good. It was good, incredible. But it was all buffet at the parties. Yeah. Like, it, it's not like, it wasn't like they were having high-end chefs cook food and bring it out to you like a restaurant. It was just a buffet, but it was all excellent food. Um, and that's another thing I have to say. Every cigar festival or cigar trip I've been on, um, they never slouch on a food. They know cigar people are food people. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and think about the amount of people that were there, right? To, to yeah, produce quality food. Six or 700 people at each of the yeah. dinners, minimum. Um, and the gala dinner was was definitely more. Massive, massive. Um, it's hard so then, to make good food, and then to make good food and serve that many people is incredible. Yeah, it really is. Not easy. Um, so then the following day, which was, uh, this is now Thursday that we're into. Um, so we woke up and we went back to the, to the Leo Reyes farm. Um, and this was like, this, for me, this was the highlight of the trip. Yeah, uh, it was magic. Kind of get some personal time with Leo Reyes. He doesn't really speak English, um, but we had Phil there to translate for us. Um, and it was obvious that he could see how much passion we have for tobacco. Cause like we're in awe in this place. Like, um, he's got decades and decades of tobacco in his warehouses and stuff. Um, he's got tobacco and bales coming in from other countries. Um, and we met some interesting people there. Uh, like the first day when we were there for the tour, um, the tour didn't really go into the, um, what do you call it? The pre-industry part, uh, which for people who aren't familiar with the, with the terminology, uh, the pre-industry is basically after you've harvested the tobacco and cured it in the barn, uh, what do you do with it before it turns into a cigar? Um, and that's the stuff like, uh, just kind of, I don't really know the term for it. Uh, I guess storing it, it's not really aging. You might have a wrapper that sits in a bale for 10 years. And it's going to taste like an old wrapper, but they don't really consider it aging at that point. Um, so you've got the tobacco going into bales. You've got the tobacco that's in uh, in pilones. And the first day when we went in there, we were just kind of passing through to get to the where the tours were going to take place in about half an hour. Uh, we saw Esteban. I'm trying to remember his last name. Uh, he's he's. Uh, he works with Skip Martin at Romacraft, uh, and he kind of uh, him and Skip are kind of partners in running uh, Nica Sueño, the Romacraft factory. Um, and of course, you know him from cigars like uh, Gaimero, Gaimaro, Guaymaro. That's that's how I pronounce it. Yeah, I, I had a hard time remembering. It's that. hard, man. It's it's hard to say. Yeah, and he he was just hanging out there, uh, probably buying some tobacco. Um, but you know, it, it it's cool to see how many other people are like going to uh, they call him uncle Leo. Yeah. How many people go to uncle Leo for their tobacco the following day we were there um, and we didn't know who he was um, because he's not somebody we would recognize, but his name is Chico. He's kind of the master blender for Chigui cigars. And he kind of runs the day-to-day operations in their, their very small factory. Um, and he was just hanging out and we were introduced to him and he rolled us some, uh, some Peritos of wrapper, uh, which I'm, I don't know if they ever told us exactly what wrapper it was. Oh, um, I don't remember. But yeah, it was, I don't think they did. But that was another time that it really, I could, we could tell how much, like, how interested Leo was in us just based on our passion for cigars. Because um, they gave us this cigar and, you know, Chico had just rolled it there. 
out of whatever tobacco Leo had given him. And he just wanted to know what we thought about it. He was so interested in hearing about what we taste, what we smell, what it feels like. Um, And then one of his sons who helps run things there brought us into uh, the fermentation area where they have all the polones that are fermenting. Uh, they had a couple of polones that were being turned there. Um, and this this part was the part where, like, I was overwhelmed and didn't, like, I was just taking pictures and I was overwhelmed by the thought of, we walked in there and he's like, if you see any tobacco that looks interesting, do you just grab some? And it yeah, was like, that was nuts. Wow, like, there's this, like, 12-year-old rappers here, yeah. there's <laughs> 10-year-old binder, or not binder, there's this 10-year-old filler. Um, and he was like, just like, you know, we were picking it up, we were smelling it, which is always a great experience. But then to be able to just grab tobacco and be like, I want to smoke this is amazing. Very cool. It's so special. Um, and then so we grabbed a couple things and brought it back and Chico rolled us some Peritos of that so we could just get an idea of what it tastes like, which was so cool. Um, I should mention, we didn't mention this before. We should mention that it was pouring almost the entire time oh, we were there. Oh, the whole, like, the whole time. The rain just kept yeah. coming and going constantly. It was cold, man. I mean, Dominicans were wearing hoodies. It was it was yeah. cold for them. Yeah, Ernesto Perez Carrillo was wearing a hoodie <laughs> for the white dinner. It was that cold. <laughs> which, I mean, realistically, it was like 68 degrees, which yeah. for me, like, that's perfect T-shirt weather for me to sit yeah, outside with some rum and smoke a cigar. But, um, you know, it depends what you're acclimated to. Um, and that brings us to the end of our uh, our regular segment here. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We just want to let you know that we're at the end of the 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 uh what's technically the end of the AFRN segment of the show um so we appreciate everybody out there listening watching and especially people on the armed forces radio network we appreciate you guys out there uh just doing things we're not built to do uh have have a great safe weekend um we just we appreciate everything you guys do out there and we're back uh in what we like to call the after dark segment um where we can say fuck shit piss whatever we want oh um, yeah we try not to too much just because we're <laughs> live on Facebook and our moms might be watching. You know, we're, uh, we're classy like that. It's all right. We're Yeah, we're trying to be debonair. Um, a couple of classy cunts. That's where we are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so then after we finished touring the farm, we went back to the factory, um, which, again, this was kind of – this was the cool part. We're, we're just like – we were just hanging out at the factory. Like Phil was showing us around, but it wasn't technically a tour. Like if we wanted to stop and – check something out we could oh, it was, it was, it was such no a cool agenda thing. It was very very casual very personal and one of the most interesting things of the entire trip for me and something that always interests me i grew up in connecticut uh where uh we actually ended up talking about it a little bit while we were there it's kind of where the industrial revolution was in the u.s um like a lot of the major manufacturing and stuff was happening up in the northeast uh that's why there's a lot of gun factories and stuff like that um but there also ended up being a lot of machine-made factories uh, for cigars up there. And they have – part of the De Los Reyes factory is machine-made. Um, so they make uh, – let me think. I'm trying to think if there's any that we're allowed to say. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, that was the problem is we weren't specifically told certain things that we're allowed <laughs> to talk about not. Um, but I think we're allowed to say that topper cigars are made there, uh, yeah. which – I mean, if you've ever seen a catalog, toppers in every catalog – uh, they're very popular in the Northeast, um, and we actually happened to meet Chris Topper there because, like, we very said, nice guy, um, super all, cool. Basically, anybody who was involved in the business there uh, was in for the week for all of their their sales meetings and stuff like that. Their 
their production meetings so they can figure out, um, you know, Topper needs 100,000 of these by the end of July or something like that. And they're trying to figure out production scheduling for the whole year. Um, but uh, what I'm trying to say is that machine made cigars have always fascinated me not because of the cigars necessarily but because of the machines that make them um it's really interesting seeing these specialized machines that are specifically built to make uh or not even to make to do certain parts of the cigar production process um, yeah it's so still had, there's still a lot of of hand processing that that's involved even even if it's a machine made yeah it's it's not like uh before I had seen like the machines, I would have pictured like in a, a, I don't know, like a how it's made factory where it's just like you put tobacco in one end and you get a box of cigars <laughs> out the other end. Yeah. But it's not that it's not even close to that. Like they have to hand prepare all the tobacco and sort it and stuff like that. Um, then they do have uh, thrashing machines that kind of, you know, chop it up into the correct consistency for whatever. Which are terrifying. We, yeah. Those things are horrifying. <laughs> um chico ray what's up homie uh the dr treated us very well it was uh we're talking about it now it was a lot of fun oh man um awesome stuff if if you haven't been watching go back and watch the rest of the episode once it's over uh just whenever you have a chance you'll you'll enjoy like some of the insight and just like there's so many interesting things that we saw which we're still talking about um so they've got like one of the really interesting machines that i got a couple pictures of but it's hard to tell in the the photos um it's a machine that cuts a binder and fills the binder in two completely separate hand-done processes but they're powered by the same power and they're on the same timing kind of um so it's got one side that's got like this wheel that's got a die cut kind of thing for the the leaf and this one girl takes a leaf and has to flatten it out and then it gets sucked in with a vacuum and then punched out into the correct yep. shape and then it goes to the other girl, which is where the, the loose leaf tobacco falls down and gets rolled into a cigar, and then a cigar pops out. Um, and it, it's, it's fascinating to me that this cigar, that this, to make one cigar, this machine needs two people. Yeah. Uh, I think it's cool. really interesting. And they're old uh, machines, too. I mean, that, the, those designs have been around for, for ages. Yeah, this, this, this particular machine was one from, uh, like, the early 1900s, like, somewhere... Somewhere around 1915, 1920 yeah. or so. Um, they had a couple of newer machines that were really interesting. I got a, uh, I don't remember if it's included in the, uh, in the pictures or not. But if it's not, I'll double check after the show to make sure. Because it's awesome. Uh, they have a machine that they put cigars that already have the binder on. So they're these little, like, I don't know, 5 by 38 uh, kind of cigarillo almost cigars. And they only have a binder. And on the other side, they've got wrappers that are in parchment paper and it's a roll like yeah. this big of parchment it's paper. very like, cool there must be five thousand wrappers on that roll um and it, i mean it looks like a toilet paper roll it's just our yeah. all cigar wrappers that are already die cut into the correct shape and placed in exactly the spot the machine needs and it has these two arms that are going like this constantly and i got a slow motion shot of it because I couldn't figure out what was going on <laughs> so one arm goes over and grabs the cigar that just has a binder and then moves it over. The other arm waits. Actually, there's three arms now that I think about it. So that one drops the cigar off. Then there's another thing that peels the tobacco wrapper off and rolls it onto the cigar. And then another arm grabs that and drops it to the, 
I don't know. I don't know what to call it. The hopper. The there's like a little a line of cigars, a conveyor belt. It's a conveyor belt of cigars that it gets dropped onto, and then the guy takes them out and puts them in the box so that they're ready to ship. Um, and that one was like, I think that machine must have been like from the '60s. That yeah, was way new. Yeah, pretty recent. It's like this interesting amalgamation of different types of machines that they have to do these different tasks. And then the best part is they have an entire warehouse full of parts for these machines where they have a team of guys because they buy these machines and um, you may get, I mean, you may buy 20 machines and it ends up that they're 10 different models because they were different years and they changed little parts. And they have a team of guys that have to take apart every single machine so they can be like, oh, so when this spring breaks, we need to replace this thing too. Um, and this spring is interchangeable, but this one's not, and stuff like that, and it's crazy. It's nuts. There's so much to it. But it's so interesting. Sorry, I'm I'm taking a sip of my beer that I'm trying to get to talking to, um, but I, I just want to keep talking about the DR. Uh, There's so much cool stuff we saw, man. It it, it It's incredible go, go, having been to Nicaragua and seeing the process there and seeing how everything is done, and then going to the DR and just seeing, you know, basically it's still a tobacco, but all those little nuances are really exciting and very different. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about it. I think then, oh, so then was when um, we kind of got kicked out of the factory, but not because we oh, did yeah. anything wrong. <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't know whether they've announced it or not, so I won't say, but there was a, um, there was a, a little production going on because I don't think they've announced it or posted pictures yeah, of it. Yeah, I don't think they have um, but there was secret a little production sauce. going on. Yeah, a little secret thing going on that they didn't want us to interfere with. Um, and I, I didn't realize that that's why they were kicking us out, because I had already been invited to interfere with that, but water <laughs> under the bridge. Um, so we went back to the debonair house and just kind of hung out for a while. We met some of the people there. Um, I mean, so we already mentioned we met Chris Topper, who was super nice. He's, uh, he's based in Connecticut. We're going to have him on the show at some point, um, because I've an interesting thing is it's really easy to look down on machine made cigars and they don't they don't at all satisfy the same itch as a like handmade premium cigar they're not the same level of enjoyment um but they only cost like a buck i mean yeah in my opinion i would rather smoke a machine made that cost a dollar than a handmade that cost a dollar because that machine made is going to have a way higher quality tobacco in it um and that's one of the things that i learned that i had never thought about is uh like they actually like a lot actually goes into that tobacco in those machine mates. Um, I had kind of assumed that it was subgrade product, um, but like a all broadleaf. I mean, there's a there's a lot of all broadleaf uh, machine mates out there, and all broadleaf machine made might have a le- might have leaves from the same crop as your Liga Pravada wrapper or something yeah, which like is crazy. that. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, I had never thought about it that way, but after seeing the tobacco there and holding it in my hands, it's like. This smells like broadleaf. It tastes like broadleaf. It smokes like broadleaf. Um, but it's going into these $1, $2 machine maids. Um, so I think I am going to end up smoking machine maids more often when I have the chance. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of like if if I'm at a party and somebody offers me a Bud Light and there's no IPAs there, I'll drink a Bud Light. I'm not against it. It's not like it's not bad. It's I mean, it's not good, but. It's not that I dislike it specifically. Um, I dislike it because there's better things available. Right. And, Um, you know, the cool thing is that regardless of what your budget is, you can smoke a quality product. And that's at the end of the day. That's all really that matters, right? You can smoke a broadleaf at $2 or a dollar, or you can smoke a broadleaf at 15 
but you're yeah. still smoking the same broadleaf from the same crop in the same field, uh, and it's still a quality tobacco product, which is yeah. awesome. Um, and one of the ones that was mentioned that they, they don't make them there or anything, but um, and I didn't realize there was a shortage apparently. Oh um, yeah. But Backwoods came up, and Backwoods is one of the first cigars that I got into smoking. Like when I couldn't af- when I was you know 21 and I couldn't afford to pay the rent, I couldn't afford to smoke a good cigar. But I would buy a couple Backwoods and smoke those. Um, and uh, I had never realized that Backwoods Maduro, which is like just the plain dark one that I think comes in like a red packet or something like that, is 100% Connecticut Broadleaf. No wonder I like those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me let me think of what else there was to talk about. Uh, so, so oh, some of the other interesting people that we met. Um, we met a couple of the people who co-own like uh, the the factory and blunt wraps and all that kind of stuff that we're not clear on who owns what or anything. Um, but some of the other cigar people that we met that that are going to be on the show at some point, um, Patrick from Patoro Cigars. Yeah. Which I had heard of Patoro, but I had never. I was never familiar with them at all. Um, it's he's a Swiss guy, and they're kind of a high-end European market cigar. So they are available in the U.S. I think they're uh, they're distributed by Christian Aroa CLE. Um, so they are available in the U.S., but only a couple of their lines are. Um, but we smoked a couple of those just because Patrick. Yeah, Patrick said, "I'm I'm Patrick. I do Pitaro cigars," and it was like, "Well, those are some of those. There are some of those sitting in the humidor. I didn't know what they were." Um, and they were really good cigars. Like some of them are a little more strong and meaty and kind of American market style. Um, but I actually really enjoyed like the Connecticut wrapper one. Cause oh, it's yeah. like, yeah. it's a Connecticut, but it's got some real intensity. Like I wouldn't have thought that was a European market cigar. I thought that would have been in like a modern American market, Connecticut. Like, you know, that, that new style of Connecticut with the stronger fillers and stuff like yeah, that. Connecticut um, plus. Yeah, exactly. And and he's been doing that for like 10 years. Um, so it was just really interesting to kind of meet these people from all over the world who we hadn't necessarily been familiar with. Um, a lot of characters, a lot of different – everybody brings something different to the table. And like in Patrick's case, for example, he came from Davidoff, and yeah. he's got like 30 years in the business. And it's cool just to be able to sit down with somebody like that and have a drink and have a cigar and just chat and, and talk about tobacco and talk about passion and talk about – you know, him and I, I came in in the morning um, on Tuesday pretty early, and him and I just spent like an hour just chatting about beer and about wine and about tastes, you know, palates from mm-hmm. the U.S. versus palates from the from Europe. And it was it was very cool to get a different perspective on that. Yeah, we spent we spent a lot of time talking to him because he was he's just a really interesting guy and he's he's passionate about everything. No Literally matter everything. what it is that you're talking everything. about, he's <laughs> passionate. He's got a passionate opinion about it. Yeah. Um, and then we went to the white party, which white parties are always like kind of fun. Um, I felt so I heard a lot of people saying the white party is usually the highlight of the week. For me, it felt a little low key. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty low key. Yeah, like it was it was a good dinner, and you know they had a DJ playing and stuff, and it was fun. Um, it was it was uh, it was good to see. There were a lot of people that I saw there that we weren't expecting to see. Um, Daniel, who's the brand manager for Hora de Nicaragua, that oh we yeah, earlier. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect to see him in the Dominican Republic. Uh, Claudio Scroy from Mombacho was there. Uh, and I, I, he would have been like the last person I would have expected to see. Um, cause I don't, I don't know how often he gets to the DR, but it couldn't be that often. Um, cause he spends most of his time in Nicaragua. Um, but Paul he was Malone? there. 
Yeah, he was there on some business. Carl Malone was there for some yeah. reason. Apparently, he's really into cigars. Um, he was extremely tall. I mean, bigger really, than Omar. Yeah, big taller than Omar from <laughs> Fidello. Um, and yes, Chico, it was a white party at the Mount, Monument of Santiago. You weren't there, were you? Because um, if you were, I'm sad we missed you. Um, what else do we do? I think Man, that was it for that was night. So good. I, I can't help but want to talk yeah. about the food again. Because All the it was food just so was so really good. All of the food. And, every and single thing I every house. single piece of food I put in my mouth was amazing. Oh, absolutely. Debonair House, man, just the breakfast. You know, you walk you, you wake up in the morning, you go into the kitchen and you have fresh bacon, you have mm-hmm. um uh crescent rolls, you have like fresh baked what was that, strawberry muffin? Yeah, there right? were fresh strawberry With, muffin. Like, strawberries inside the muffin. Insane stuff. You know, fresh quality food. Um and but still that casual feel of, hey, you know, it's just all family. You went downstairs to the kitchen. You had some some breakfast. And it's – yeah, that had a really interesting feel because when we got there, uh, somebody had told us – I think it was Jared that said, if you're hungry, just go to the kitchen and tell them what you want and they'll make it for you. Yeah. And I I was like, man, that sounds weird. Did they just have like people, like chefs standing there waiting to make you food? That sounds like so hoity-toity. And uh, it wasn't like that at all. It was was Callan who – he's the guy that picked us up from the airport – um, he kind of manages the property, like make sure that, you know, if something needs to be repaired. He makes sure it gets repaired and stuff like that. Um, but he also used to run a restaurant in New Orleans making, you know, Louis, classic New Louisiana style food. Um, and he just loves cooking food. So like he's like, hey, you want an omelet? And I'm like, no, I don't eat eggs, man. He's like, all right, what do you eat? Do you eat this? Do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want that? Yeah. I'm like, whoa, calm down. Um, <laughs> And it's it just felt way more like uh, you know your cousin asking you if you're hungry while you're staying at his house or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Um, which it just had such a family feel. I really liked it. Um, let's see. After the white party, we went back to the debonair house. Um, no, Chico wants to know how many nights and whether we stayed in the hotel. Um, so we were there for four nights from Tuesday night until Saturday, um, and we we were invited to stay with with debonair cigars. Uh, rather than staying with the uh, the hotel that sponsors the event, so we kind of we did one tour, um, which was with the De Los Reyes factory, which is um, partners with Debonair. Kind of that's where Debonair cigars are made. Um, I think they kind of uh, partially at least own. Man, your camera's doing crazy stuff. Uh, know, they at least small... partially own the Debonair house, um, and we were invited to stay with them. And we had thought that we'd be going to the events. But it kind of ended up being uh, a private, like, hanging out with debonair cigars and then going to the uh, the parties at night, which was a, a very different and interesting experience. Um, and I, I had a lot of fun. And I, I just uh, I really appreciate that they invited us because um, it was like it reminded me of my first time in Nicaragua, where it was like almost life changing. It in, was in it the was way so... that it was like, yeah. Things that I'd never seen before. I met friends that I that I'll be talking to for decades probably, and uh, just like I felt at home there, which is the same way I felt the first time I went to Nicaragua. Like on Cigar Safari, they make you feel like you live there, or like you. Yeah, it's it's not. It's so different than what you would expect. Yeah. Um. So then on Friday, Friday was really interesting because we didn't really we didn't have any agenda Friday. So it was like, what do you guys want to do? Um. And we ended up kind of hanging around the factory a little bit. Um, we got a, a blending session that's unlike any blending session we've ever had before. Cause that was wild. 
typically a blending session is like at a like actually now that I think about it, it this is like level three. So level one is going to Hoya the Nicaragua on Safari and they give you a sheet of paper and you check what you want, basically. They have I think like nine or ten check boxes and you just check the things you want and then they make you the cigar. And then the following dance cigar safari, they do the uh, Drew Estate one, which is kind of where you get to play with the tobacco a little bit. You can write whatever you want for the blend. This one, it was like even more freeform. They had brought out a couple specific tobaccos, um, but it quickly became obvious that if we wanted something specific, we could just ask and that somebody would go find some. Yeah, yeah. So like initially we had, let me think of what we had. We had some HVA. We had some Pennsylvania Broadleaf. We had some uh, Habano 2020, I think it is. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a new it's a newer strain that Leo invented. It's his latest creation. Uh, some Paloto Cubano and uh, oh, some Criollo uh, 98 and some Corojo. Yeah. And all of those were Dominican except for the Pennsylvania Broadleaf, of course. Um, and we had another guy who uh, he he does some cigar distribution for them, so he was kind of hanging around also. Um, and he came and, and blended with us. And they had initially wanted us to use a Sumatra binder and a Habano wrapper from Nicaragua. And he said, what about Negrito? Can I use a Negrito wrapper? And they said, let me go check. And they went and found <laughs> found a, a bundle of yeah. Negrito wrapper for us to use. Um, and then we got to like, we had, uh, what was his name? I'm oh, trying man. to remember the guy's I name. I can't remember now. Uh, I, know, I know what you mean. He, he's basically the master blender for the factory, even though he's not officially a master blender. Um, they basically have, like, uh, for the Saga blends and for the uh, uh, De Los Reyes blends, uh, they have somebody from the Reyes family blend them. Uh, for the Debonair side of things, of course, Phil Zangi blends those. But this is the guy who's sitting there with you making sure that you're not, I don't know, making a all the harrow <laughs> the Connecticut rapper or something like that. He makes sure you're not going crazy and that you're doing reasonable things. And he's, he's helping you through the process of blending. Um, so it was really cool to have him there and he doesn't speak any English. We had a uh, Nelson who uh, does, he, he awesome does guy. actually, that reminds me of another thing that I completely forgot to mention uh, a really, really, really interesting thing that the Dallas Reyes factory does. If you make cigars in their factory, you have your own boots on the ground, making sure things get done the way you want them to, but you're still using the resources of their factory. Like they're the rollers are all always the same people. They have, you know, one group of rollers, um, that roll every brand they make, uh, on a rotating basis, like any factory. But whereas a lot of factories, you come in and you say, I want this blend. And then their, their, uh, their factory staff will make sure that you know, every time they do a production of a thousand cigars or whatever for you, that they're coming out with a consistent product. Instead, each brand has their own people that are in charge of just making sure that brand is is right every time. Even if even if Phil's out touring the U.S. doing events and stuff like that, he has two people who are dedicated to making sure his product always is handled the way that he would handle it, which is completely different from every factory I've ever it's very seen. different in a lot of ways it actually reminds me of a um, a we work space oh yeah yeah very similar to that only instead of using desks and internet connections and stuff <laughs> like that you're using tobacco and cigar rollers um, but yeah so Nelson who's the guy that he's one of the guys that is in charge of uh, debonair and Indian motorcycles production um, 
so he was helping us kind of blend and th- this was it, that was another thing that uh when we were touring the factory uh we ended up touring the uh the tobacco warehouse and we happened upon some uh Latakia tobacco and oh, yeah. Jared Jared <laughs> decided to use some of that in his blend he just grabbed some and brought it with him uh it was it was just an interesting dynamic being like uh rather than feeling like you're on a tour i felt like i was a guest of the factory yeah that's exactly uh, which, what it was they're very they're very similar but there's definitely a difference there uh and i mean it was just such a unique experience um and then of course the gala dinner uh which was held in a a, a huge country club like beautiful yeah it it was like a it felt like a semi outdoor uh like supper club like it's this huge it's basically a giant pavilion that doesn't have walls but it has a roof that comes way down um so if it was i mean it could be pouring and you wouldn't notice it in there um and there were probably i would guess there was like a thousand maybe 1200 people there yeah there were a ton of people it was all of the i mean everybody went to all of the parties all of the all of the major people but here it was like everybody was there Everybody who was anybody in Santiago was there. Um, and of course, I, I didn't, we didn't mention during the other parties that uh, everybody who makes cigars was there. Um, Henke Kellner was at every dinner. Lito Gomez, uh, Carlito Fuente. Um, I mean, more, more people than I can name, that's for sure. Um, and it was really interesting, like, just, you know, some of, the, some of the people I know, some of them I don't. And it was really interesting getting introduced and getting to meet people that I don't know. And getting to see people that I only get to see at like IPCPR. Tony Bellotto was there. No, Tony Bellotto wasn't. Um, uh, no, Tony. Uh, Tony. Uh, <laughs> I always Tony confuse Gomez. the two. Tony yeah, Gomez. Okay. Thank you. Tito Gomez's son. And yes, that was that Tony was another Gomez. thing I wanted to mention. <laughs> he. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Tony Gomez, he he went to film school before he decided that he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps and get into the tobacco industry. Um, so he made a little short film. That was really funny where they had a couple of the people. (laughs) They had a couple of the people uh, like do like a real world kind of sketch that was completely over the top. Uh, Like it was basically the real world, um, but it only lasted like four hours in it within the space of the movie. Um, And I think it was Lito Gomez, Hanky Kellner, uh, Nirko Reyes. Yep. And there's somebody else that I'm missing. I don't remember who else it was. Um, Manolo Quesada, they had, I don't know how, how they came up with the joke, but Manolo Quesada was a cardboard cutout the entire time. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, I saw, so I didn't realize this until after we got back and I read about it, but uh, they actually auctioned off the Manolo Quesada stand-up, the cardboard stand-up, um, and Charlie Minato bought it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. Uh so apparently, if you're ever in the half wheel office, look for Manolo peeking out from around corners and stuff. <laughs> uh, and they had a lot of like, um, there was a lot of you know, just thank you to the entire industry from people, uh, like a lot of speeches and stuff like that that were kind of thanking the industry as a whole for existing, so that everybody could do this thing that they yeah, love. It was really um, nice. And then, of course, they had a live band because they had a live band every night. And then they had the. I'm calling them the Grupo de, de Azul Caballeros, uh, the the Blue Man Group, because it was it reminded me of Blue Man Group because they were doing the whole drum thing, but they had like these light up suits and stuff. Oh, this that is the was, thing that was so cool because the pictures just kept turning out really good. Um, and they had like pyrotechnics and 
they at one point one of the guys had a monitor on his head that had like it lit up with like it had pac-man and luigi and mario and stuff it was it was crazy but it was really <laughs> cool um and you know we kind of just partied and had fun smoked a lot of cigars oh man it was a great uh, time and then of course the next day was just uh they were all finishing up their sales meetings and Dennis, you headed out early in the morning, and I was around yeah. until a little bit after noon. Um, but it was just kind of a chill day, smoking in the lounge, relaxing. It was a nice way to end the week. Because um, it's one of those things where you're having... It reminds me a lot of a tech conference, um, where you're kind of... It's a mix of vacation, working, and then staying up all night. Oh, yeah. Uh, Meeting old friends, making new friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it was nice to have a little bit of time to recover before getting on another plane. But I mean, overall, it was it was really fun. I wouldn't I would do it again, like no question. Um, I hope we get a chance to go to Pro Cigar again next year. Uh, whether we get like this private tour kind of experience or we just go to the normal festival, I'd be okay with either one. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. I'd prefer this way, but <laughs> um, it would be great to see a lot of the other factories. Um, I know I know that some of the ones that I really want to see someday are like Davidoff and Fuente. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about the tour of the uh, the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation. It seems like uh, people really like that one. So hopefully we'll get to do it again next year. Um, before we head out, do you want to talk about our beer pairings to close out the show? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. All right. I well, actually I, I finished. I killed mine, even oh though I, you know, I, I didn't have much. It was a small bottle. Oh, okay. But so so my pairing was was kind of interesting and special, and I wanted to commemorate the special trip with a special beer. And so my beer comes from Harvestoon, and it's their Ola Dub, uh, Ola Dub 16. And the barrels for this are um, Highland Park. If you guys know Old Engine Oil, they basically take Old Engine Oil, they mm -hmm. age it for six months in Highland Park barrels. And this one is a 16-year Highland Park barrel. Uh, man, crazy. Really <laughs> not not as wild as I thought it was going to be. Oh, really? Um, That's surprising. Really smooth. Kind of subdued, not your typical old engine oil, but it has that kick. This was really smooth and subdued, uh, but just killer. The barrel comes out so well in this. And I think it was a really nice beer to commemorate the whole trip. Nice. Um, mine isn't quite as special. So actually, before I introduce mine, did you get any peat in that? That's what I'm curious no, about. No, no peat, sadly. I, fig I figure it probably wouldn't come through because uh, even though peat is very intense, it doesn't tend to stick to the barrel that much. Like yeah. when you barrel age in something that's peated, uh, not a lot of peat comes through. So I am drinking oh from my Modern Times. Such a good beer. City of the Dead Nitro. Um, so as I talked about, I think a couple weeks ago when I had the City of the Dead, the regular version, um, the City of the Dead was strangely discontinued, um, I think. It's not on any of their release lists for 2018, so I'm not 100% sure it's gone but I'm pretty sure it's gone because it used to be on their release list. Um, so this is a nitro version with uh, stout with cacao nibs, almonds, and sea salt. And we actually, I meant to mention um, as a segue into this beer, but we uh, we just kept talking about Pro Cigar, uh, that we actually, I brought a, a can of this down to Pro Cigar with us. And after the white party, we, we <laughs> sampled a couple oh, of Oh, yes. Um, so I'm going to take a couple sips of it and see how it is. Yeah, man. Thanks for bringing that down. That was really cool. Uh, both of us kind of brought down a bunch of different beers, and we shared them during the trip a couple, you know, a couple every night. Uh, and it was great. A lot of great beers. Yeah, it was beers. a lot of fun. Um, so 
I think I, I think I may have mentioned it kind of offhandedly when we when I had the City of the Dead, the regular version, on the show. Um, for me, this beer it loses a little bit of that richness that City of the Dead mm-hmm. has, like the richness from the barrel aged coffee, um, with the addition of the cocoa and the almonds. And the salt for me is kind of overpowering, but I don't know why, but I find a cigar completely balances the salt element out. Um, so you don't have to, you don't have any of that, like, you know, uh, that saltiness on your tongue that I found kind of sticks to your palate a little bit without a cigar. But with a cigar, I find the salt actually brings out more flavor in the cigar. Um, I mean, you know, salt just does that. Salt kind of opens up your palate a little bit. So I find it, it actually works really well with the cigar. for that. And I think that night we smoked a, um, was it a debonair stick, yeah? I think so. With the beer. I think, actually, that might have been the night that we grabbed a couple of these out. A couple of these old... old oh, nibbles. yes, you're right. Yep. And smoked That's what those. It was. Um, so I think, I think I'm redoing this pairing without realizing it. Well, I'm realizing it now. Um, yeah, I, I find the saltiness and the sweetness actually goes really well with the cigar because it balances out the sweetness of the cigar a little bit and brings out some of the more savory, like meaty notes that I don't usually get in these. Um, but man, this is such a good cigar. If you haven't smoked a debonair Maduro, it's it's been described to me a couple times as the Dominican Liga Pravada. It's basically a, a slightly more Dominican version of like the Liga Pravada number nine. It doesn't have quite the same uh, like layers of complexity, but the notes that you get are much more precise. Like with the Liga Pravada number nine, I find I get a lot of sweetness, but it's hard to nail down what all of those different layers of flavor are. With this, it's kind of a uh, slightly more easily decipherable version of that kind of feel. And I mean, with the age on this, it's fantastic. I loved it, man. I, I smoked through mine. I'm, I've been done for a while now. You poor bastard. <laughs> all right. Well, since Dennis is done, that's we'll all I have left. Up the show. Oh my god! Bit. Wow, you smoked that thing hard. <laughs> oh, I love it. I have this much left. Um. Well, we're gonna go have go ahead and close out the show. Uh, tune in tomorrow night. Uh, there's the the reason that uh Dennis had Tony Bellotto on the mind is because he'll actually be on Cigar Chat yeah, that's tomorrow right. night. Uh, and then our next episode of sharing our pairings is also going to be with Tony Bellotto. Uh, we're going to be smoking some, some, uh, La Barba cigars. Uh, I think we're probably going to do the purple because from what I've heard, that goes pretty well with red wine, which is what our pairing is going to be. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that cause I've it's been trying be to fun. put a wine show together. Um, cause I think red wine goes really well with cigars. Um, the problem is that I'm going to have two or three bottles of red wine open in the fridge for the next week <laughs> uh since my wife doesn't drink at all i'm gonna have to finish it before it all goes bad but it's a good prompt know, to have yeah it's the price i pay for for this kind <laughs> of entertainment for you guys uh so thanks everybody for watching thanks everybody for listening uh we appreciate it look for new podcasts every monday and tuesday uh same goes for the old youtube um as always if you've got any comments feel free to drop them on facebook drop them on youtube or send me an email, trip at cigarfederation.com. Thanks again for watching. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Everybody have a great weekend, and we'll see you tomorrow night with Tony Bellotto.